We are in a series called The Holy Spirit and You. We are in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start there today. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Notice that he doesn't know why he's going. He's just going. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks. How can I? He said, unless someone explains to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. This is from Isaiah 53. And as a lamb before its shearers, silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared as Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And then Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We have one more, and I don't know if they're going to have it here, but I know it. It's Luke 15, 4. Does not the good shepherd leave the 99 to seek after the one that is lost until he finds it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love. We thank you, God, that you are a great, great Savior, and you are very active. Would you help us to see your activity and respond to it quickly? We love you, we praise you, and we commit this time now to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Seeking the One Who is Lost. Point one is the one who seeks the lost. This is a very interesting passage because it's clear that Philip is not the one seeking the lost. Philip is at Samaria. They're having meetings there. People are getting saved in Samaria. He's reaching a lot of people there. And he, Peter and John came down and prayed for people. And Philip's not the one looking. Jesus is the one looking. Jesus said about himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus is looking for people. 
Jesus is going after people. The Bible says that this Ethiopian eunuch was by himself traveling and this angel comes and speaks to Philip and, and how he knew it was an angel, it doesn't say he saw an angel, he just knew it was an angel that said, go to this desert road. And there was this, this divine, divinely arranged appointment. And it made me think, maybe you are in a desert place today. Maybe you find yourself all alone. Maybe you've tried everything else. You've tried everyone else. Nothing's working. And here you are in this desert place feeling very much all alone. Well, let me tell you something. God's got your address. God, it, God is in the habit of meeting people. Oh, actually, he's the one that finally drew you away from everyone else so that he could meet you in your desert place, so that you could have an encounter with him. Jesus is the one looking for lost people. A few, oh, I want to say this first. So don't try to be useful. Try to be obedient. If Jesus is the one seeking the lost, then he gets to tell us our role. It, common sense, it does not make sense. Philip is helping this whole group of people in Samaria. Certainly that would be the most useful place for him to be. Certainly he's supposed to stay there. It's working. People are getting saved. Miracles are being done. Certainly he's supposed to stay there. But the angel says, no, go. I want you to go meet with, and it ends up being one person. Have you ever tried to be useful? where you've got ideas of how you're going to win your family or how you're going to win this friend and, and you, try to, you try to figure this out and you try to position yourself to be useful to God and you give God ideas of how he could do it and how you two could work together. And Has anybody noticed God rarely uses any of those ideas? Yeah. It's like, mm, that's cool that you have an opinion. Um, it, just works, it just works much better when we stop focusing on being useful and just try to be obedient. Doesn't make sense, but God, this is what you want me to do. I'm just going to go that way. Think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. He wants to lead us and guide us and sometimes our own Common sense gets in the way. Our own understanding gets in the way, and, and we just need to trust. God loves everybody. God's after everybody, and, and get into the flow of who he is bringing our way. So uh, 2019, I do a weekly devotional that I send out, and, and that specific day, it was, on, it was called Restoring Eden. And it was all about Eden means delight and that God created us so that we would delight in him and, and that, we, that, that he would, we would know that he finds his delight in us and that, that God's calling us beyond just duty for God to this, this delight in God. And I, I get this devotional done and I send it out and I get an email from my sister, Denise, and 
she tells me that her daughter, um, my niece, has had a baby, and they are calling it Eden. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And so I immediately get back to my sister. I'm like, this is so cool. I just sent this out. Eden means delight, da 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 Well, you know, she didn't think it was as cool as I thought it was. Um, but she's like, okay, 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 that happened. That's fine. Um, so 2020, I put all of my devotions from 12 years together in this book. It's called One Thing. They're, they're out at the resource table. But I made a whole book of all of my devotions. And uh, we were having a reunion, cousin reunion. There are 18 nieces and nephews. Um, and it was for my siblings and all the nieces and nephews. We're, we're, we're having a big get-together in 2020. The Wisconsin does, got canceled or got postponed. No, nothing happened in 2020. So 2021 comes, and it's rescheduled, and they all come into town. And July 15th, they arrive. I'm over at my brother Mike's house, and I have got a devotional for each one of my nieces and nephews. And I want to give it to them as a gift. I always told them stories when they were growing up. And so there's some feeling of camaraderie between us. So July 15th, it is the first day that I am meeting Eden face to face. It turns out the devotional that morning was restoring Eden. How, how could this possibly work out? That the day I wrote it is the found day I found out her name. And the day they arrive is the exact day that that is the devotion on restoring Eden. And I'm like, oh my, I'm bursting. And I, I go to my niece and I'm like, this could, only God could have set this up. Look at this devotion. This is, this is a gift to you. This is today's devotion. And she looks at it and she's like, oh my. And she reads it and then she goes to her husband and shows it to him. And, um, and that night, we got some one-on-one talk. God just used that to, to talk about faith and talk about where she is and why she struggles to believe and da-da-da-da-da. And she didn't get saved that night, but... How many know that God loves my niece? How many know that he's using things like that to, to pull? To, I really think we, just, we need to open our eyes more and we need to slow down a little to see what God's doing. I'm horrible in an art gallery. So we're going we're gonna to see this art gallery, okay? And here's how I start. All right. We can do this all in 15 minutes. <laughs> and so I'm like, looked at it, looked at it, looked at it, looked at it, looked at it. I'm in the next room. Alice is still three rooms behind me looking at one picture. And I'm like, baby, come on, let's go. Let's do this. We've seen this. And that's not, that's not how you do an art gallery. I was thinking about this the other day. Have you noticed that creation is God's art gallery? Yes. And that he like makes pictures every night and, and every day and everywhere you look, there's like this, this picture. And, but just like an art gallery, nobody needs to stop and look at it. Nobody, nobody, but if you stop and you think about it 
And you look at the pictures and you start asking yourself, who is, what was in the artist's mind when he made this? Who is this? If you follow the, the beam up to, to the one behind all of this beauty, life becomes richer. Now, the same is true about people. Instead of rushing through your day, getting to the next thing, consider the possibility that God, you actually work there because God wanted you to be with these people. That these are, these are people, these are his creations. That they are, that, that he loves them fervently, that he died for them, and that he is, you, you are in their life for a reason, for a divine purpose. If you would only think those thoughts, if you would only think of yourself as, as oh, maybe, maybe God is in this. When you are sitting next to a person, when you're put together by a person because there's been a, an accident or there's been something, always ask yourself, God, what are you doing in this? And I think we'll be amazed. A week ago, Thursday, our youth group went to Noah's Ark and it was called Pray and Play. And they were in three vehicles. There were 27 of them that went. And here was the pray part. Before they went in to play in Noah's Ark, they were going to do evangelism. But here's how they were going to do the evangelism. On the way there, they were all, they were, all three vehicles were going to pray and ask God to give them Prophetic pictures of who he wanted them to meet. Just little indications of, of, that would come into their mind. Just write them down. Write down those thoughts. We're going to pray. We're going to let God speak to us that we want to be on these divine appointments. And then, so, the, sure enough, these kids are writing stuff down, calling them out. And when they get there, they take the accumulate. Derek described this to me, the accumulation of all three vans. And they just read all of the words. These are the things that you want to look for. Now go out and have God appointments. So one of them was a broken foot. And Derek confessed to me and to us, who would come to a water park with a broken foot? There was a broken foot and they've got a cast on it. Who would come to a water park with that? Well, it turned out, there were three broken foots there. All of them got prayed for. All of them were like, God will put us together with you. And then somebody had this word about uh, a, a girl in, bikini, uh, in a bikini whose name was, was Grace. And so they're, they're, uh, all of a sudden, they're at the park. Derek's with a couple of our girls. And this, this girl walks past with a bikini on. And she's got a tattoo that says grace. And Derek's like, girls, go get her. That's her. And the girls say this, what if her name isn't grace? And Derek's like, that's not how it works. That's her. Go get her. Don't overthink this. That's the one. Are you kidding me? It says grace on her. So uh, another person had a picture of somebody that had tattoos of pine trees on their forearms. Odd. So they come across this guy with his girlfriend, and sure enough, he has pine trees on his forearms. And so they approach him, and they say, uh, 
we really feel like God has singled you out and that God loves you and that he wants us to pray for you. And, and he looks skeptical and she says, this girl says, look, I wrote this down in my journal today. Look at this, read this. He looks at it and he's like, whoa. Pray for us. Please pray for us. Now, I don't know if any of those people got saved that day, but how many know that every one of them got to thinking, oh my, whether I'm thinking about God or not, God's thinking about me. I am on God's heart. God is actively pursuing people. Our young people had a blast praying for people. They, had, they were on God's adventure. It, it, they weren't carrying the weight of, I need to do this. No, God's doing something, and we're joining him. The one who seeks the lost. The Bible says that beginning from that very passage, Philip started sharing with him, that, that Philip started with the Ethiopian eunuch exactly where he was. That's how God comes to people. You noticed our sign on the way in, come as you are. In the foyer, huge letters, come as you are. What does that mean? That means Jesus wants people to come just as they are, and he wants us to welcome and love people as his church just where they are. Start with where people are. Start with accommodate where people are. Paul said it this way, I become all things to all people. To those under the law, I can do the law thing. To those that are without law, I can do without law. To those that are weak, I can be weak. I will meet people where they are. No one has to perform for me. Nobody has to jump through hoops for me. I will meet them right where they are. We'll start there, and then we'll take them to Jesus. So I want to tell you a story about the found, one of the foundations of City Church. I'm, I want to tell you where Come As You Are came from. So it goes all the way back to 1996. And I'm, in, I'm the pastor in Boston at that time. The youth pastor serving with me is uh, Shane Holden. And Shane started praying for the drug culture in Madison. And he was praying that God would raise up a church. And he explained it to me, because he came out of that culture. He said, he said Tom, there is, there's nowhere where my fr- old friends would go to church right now. There's not a church for them, and, and there needs to be. And I'm, I'm just praying that God will raise somebody up. God, and, and Shane would just go after it. And then God started speaking. You go. You go do it. And Shane said, no, that's not what I meant. That's not, that's not what that meant. Here am I, send someone else. I mean, that was the last thing that was on his mind, was that he would go do this. And um, so finally, there are so many prophetic things. Actually, Shane is going to come here. I'm doing revival history, and the last two, we're going to do one on uh, Mad City, and Shane's going to come on a Sunday night. I talked to him this week. He's very excited about doing it. And then we'll find the last one will be on City Church. These are going to probably be in December. We pick up the series in Revival in, in October. It's on Sunday nights. Anyway, um, so he said he would come down here and plant that church if I would call him every week. I said, done. So he comes down here and 
two things that were, were part of this right away. One was preaching in blue jeans because he knew his friends didn't, they, they felt like they, like they would have to dress up to come to church. So preaching in blue jeans. And then the other thing was, we're not gonna have offerings. We're gonna just have giving boxes because he talked to his friends and they just like, you know, the church just wants our money. And so he's like, we're taking that away. We're gonna put those giving boxes up and people give, and if they don't give, then we'll close it down. I don't want to do it anyway, so it doesn't matter to me if it closes down, but we're not, we're not that, it's, the church is not going to be about money. It's not going to be about keeping the doors open. It's going to be about Jesus, and we'll put those boxes there, and we'll see what God does. And, uh, and so they put, come as you are on the bulletins. Come as you are. This is the church. You, you, know, you don't have to perform. You don't have to pretend, and you don't have to pay. Just come. Just come. And so he's getting ready to come, and he feels like, I mean, he knows Madison, liberal Madison, sinful Madison, you know, party school. He feels like, I'm coming, and God's t sending me there to get in the face of them, to be a prophetic voice to Madison, to, to call Madison to repent. And so he was shocked when God said, that's not the message. He's like, What? And God made it very clear, I have a message of mercy for Madison. And it's like, really? And so they put it right on the bulletin. It was a message of mercy for Madison. A cross was there and a message of mercy for Madison. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God's thinking different things than we are? God's heart today is filled with mercy. He has a message of mercy for you. You come just as you are. Come with the mess. Come with the addiction. Come with whatever you're stuck in. Come. God has a message for you. He is the one that's been seeking you. Guys, I hope we don't become as a church something other than that. I hope we don't become a place where people can't come because they don't feel like they would fit in here. I hope, I hope our hearts are big enough that everybody fits in here. Everybody, you don't have to be like us, you don't have to look like us, you don't have to, you just come because you're loved by God, just like I am. Someone almost clapped, that was awesome. <laughs> Point two. Scripture in Jesus. It says, beginning, beginning with that scripture, he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch who is literally reading the Bible. And he says, Do you understand what you're reading? And here's what the Ethiopian eunuch says How can I, unless somebody explains it to me? We tend to think people understand way more than they actually do. I, I got to speak at our membership class last Saturday or two Saturdays ago. I can't remember when it was, but we, I always share the bridge with them, and we start with these diagnostic questions so that we can help train people to, to share because my, what I said to them is this. Most people are very confused spiritually. 
Even, even people that you would think might be Christian, they've got lots of thoughts in their minds spiritually, and it's all, it's all confused. And the problem with confusion spiritually is it's almost impossible to make a clear response when, you, when there's not a clear message. And so what's in there? Well, there's that thing from Billy Graham that they've got up there, and they've got that thing from a psychic up there, and they've got that thing from Oprah. We know she's a good source. And so they've got that up there, and then they've got their own experience, and then they've got their own opinion, and all of this is swirling together. And of course, nobody wants to say they don't believe in the Bible, so they've got a verse here and there, and they've heard this, and they've heard that, and that's what's swirling around spiritually. In our, in our people's minds. And this is why it's, it's so important that you and I know what the gospel is and that we can present it to somebody else. That's why Tom Alexander trains his people in the bridge illustration. And I, I, we take all of our members through the bridge and I've taken our staff through the bridge and I'd be happy to teach anybody the bridge illustration. Just, it's an easy way to clearly share what the God, diagnose where someone is and then show them what the gospel is so they can make a clear response. This is what 1 Peter 3.15 says, to sanctify Christ as Lord and then to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with gentleness and with reverence. That, that we are the hope of the world. Christ in us, Jesus is the, is the hope of the world. That's Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the hope for the world. They can, the world's looking for hope. They're looking for something. We are the live stream from heaven, of heaven's hope. And so if we, if we live this thing out, what we just need to do is be available and then be ready. Be ready to jump up in the chariot. I heard an amen somewhere. That's awesome. Um, John 14, 1 and 2, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's a heaven and there's lots of rooms there. Father's got many, many rooms. And I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love you and I'm preparing a place for you in heaven so that where I am, you can be always. And, uh, and Thomas, is, Thomas has got his hand up. Yes, Thomas. Uh, we don't know how to get there. How can we know we're going to heaven? And Jesus said, Thomas, have I been with you so long that you don't know this? Jesus said, I am the way, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here's how you get to heaven. It's not by a ritual. It's not by a sacrament. It's not by baptism. It's not by communion. That You don't get to heaven that way. It's not a prayer. It's not, you, you just, just pray this prayer and you're in. It's not an altar call. It's not, if you go up there and you kneel down and you cry, then you'll go. The way is a person. You actually have to have this relationship with Jesus. It might start at an altar. It might start by prayer. But Jesus, for you to be with him in his home, you need to make your home in him now and let his word and his truth become home in you. Everybody that welcomes Jesus and makes Jesus their home can know they will possess that heavenly home that he's prepared for us. Here's John 15. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this word abide is related to the word abode, which is in the chapter before, which means home. That Jesus says, the Father and the Son, we want to come and make our home in you. So this is the Greek word for home as a verb, uh, as in make your home in someone. Make your home somewhere. Jesus says, if you make your home in me, if my presence becomes your home, if this is what you choose as your home, and he says, if my word is allowed to be at home in you, even if it, even if it rips out the carpet and changes the paintings, if, if you will let my word be at home in you, he said, you're going to bring forth much fruit. You're going to be in sync with the Father. Whatever you ask will be given. That's how it is supposed to work. And then he says these words, if you, if you choose not to, you are going to be cut off and you're going to be thrown into the fire. And so let's talk about this for just a moment. Why do people go to hell? Pastor Tom, this is very uncomfortable. I'm not even sure I believe in hell. I don't believe if a God really loves us, there would even be a hell. Well, you know what? Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. He never, he never talked about hell to threaten his enemies. It was always to warn his friends. There is a hell. Make sure, whatever you do in your life, don't end up in hell. Stay out of hell. Here he gives us how you end up in hell. If instead of abiding in the vine, if, if you don't become at home in the vine, you don't take the place God has made for you in the vine, then you're going to be cut off like a branch and you're going to be thrown into the fire. So if you decide you're going to make your home somewhere else, well, where would, where would we make our home? Oh, well, you can make your home in darkness. There's all kinds, of, all kinds of places in darkness you can make your home. You can make your home in lust. You can make your home in rage. You can make your home in self-pity. There's all fear. There's all kinds of dark homes that you can choose as this is, this is the real me right here. You can make your home in independence. I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman, I'm self-reliant, I'm, I'm, I am the hero of my own life, no one's going to help me, I'm going to be me, glory to me, glory to me, I'm doing it, I did it, and you got that advertisement, look at me, I did it. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the tree of independence. In Isaiah 14, it's, it, 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 it's the story of Lucifer, and it, get, it gives the five wills, I wills. I will, I will be like God. I will ascend my throne. I will, I will make myself God. And isn't, isn't, wasn't that the first lie? Is God knows the day you eat, you will be like him. You will be like God. And if you and I choose to make our home in ourselves, in our own independence, nothing can be sure. Whatever religion you add to your life, 
that you will end up in hell, away from God, because you chose not to make him your, your home. A branch, a branch's purpose is to show forth the beauty of that vine, the leaves, the fruit, the connection, that its home is, its rightful home is in that vine. And it, everything is beautiful when he takes that place. When he doesn't, a branch, and it's interesting, isn't it, about branches? You can break it off, and it will stay green, and there will be fruit on it for a while. But time will reveal it. Time will wilt it. Time will dry it out. Time will expose it. We have this beautiful creek that runs through our neighborhood, and they've, they've got all kinds of vegetation around it and the walking path and the creek starts flowing about May 15th and it goes until about September 15th and it's just so beautiful. I, love, I do my prayer walk there every day. I just love it. Well, this year, about August 1st, something happened to our creek. The pump broke. And apparently there's no, uh, not enough money in the neighborhood society or whatever that thing is to repair it. And so... I have to walk there every day and look at this. It just looks horrible. <laughs> it's just, it's, and, but here's what I think about it. This, it's man-made. God's creeks, the water starts under, under, underground and it comes up and it fills it and there's like this, this supply of water that keeps coming. But, but man's stuff it can look really good, it can look really beautiful, and everybody can be really impressed with it, but at some point, it's going to be exposed. This is made by man. It's got a human pump that breaks. And it ain't pretty. And our lives are not pretty when we get away from the vine. Your, your true home, my true home, is in God's love, God, in God's presence, where his word has its home in us. All right, so last point. Why it's hard to go to hell. So this story comes from, I used to, way back when, I was part of Full Gospel Businessmen, and we got a free subscription to their magazine every month, and the magazine was just filled with testimonies. And I remember distinctly one testimony. This guy uh, was in a library, and he's, he walks past this table, and there's a tract on the table that says why it's hard to go to hell. And he, he gets past it, and he stops, and he's like, I must have misread that, because I know that the, the, the way is broad, and many go to hell, and da-da-da-da-da, and I'm like, that, 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 that's not right. And so he goes back, and sure enough, there it is. Why it's hard to go to hell. And he, so he opens it up. It's got his attention. So here are the four reasons in this tract of why it was hard to go to hell. Number one, God loves you and Jesus died for you and it's his express purpose, his plan, his desire for you to be saved. 
that this is what he said when he, when, when he starts with that scripture in Isaiah 53 about the lamb going to slaughter and he's silent and, and, and the Ethiopian says, is this about the prophet or someone else? And Philip got to say, oh, it was about someone else. It was about the Messiah. The Messiah was going to come and he was going to be the lamb that all the other sacrificial lambs have been pointing to that would die and take away the sins of the world so that we could become right with God through him, that forgiveness of sins could be offered in Jesus. And so this is why we need to come to Jesus because that's where forgiveness is being poured out. This is where you can experience God's love and God's salvation is in Christ. Second reason why it's hard to go to hell, um, that God has released angels into the world to set up these divine appointments. Maybe we have this scripture. It's Hebrews 1.14. We might not. I will just read it to you. Here it is. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So who are those that are going to inherit salvation? The human race. Everybody in the human race was designed for salvation. God has prepared a place for you. Did you know that if you go to hell, you have to go to a place that wasn't made for you? It says in Matthew 25, to those on his left, Jesus will say, depart you who practice lawlessness. You go into the place that was prepared for Satan and his angels. It wasn't even prepared for you. There is no place prepared for you in hell. You have to go to somebody else's place. There is a place for you prepared in heaven. You are supposed to inherit salvation. Jesus won salvation for the human race. So these angels are, they're busy about setting up these divine appointments. It says that an angel spoke to Philip and said, go to that desert road. They are busy setting up salvation appointments. And, and you know, just to encourage you a little, did you know that only a third of the angels fell? Revelation 12 says only a third fell. That means there's two-thirds still on our side. That means there's twice as many angels as there are demons. So let's not overplay the devil and what the devil's doing and da-da-da-da-da. Two to one. That's pretty good. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is here. God has sent the Holy Spirit to convict you and human beings of their sin. The Bible says that Philip, when he gets there, the angel told him to go to that road, and once he gets there, it says that the Spirit spoke to him and said, go get up on that chariot. John 16, 7 through 9. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin, because they do not believe in me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of this. You need a Savior. 
The Holy Spirit is active. He's the advocate. He's the lawyer to the human race. And he is convincing human beings that he's got lots of evidence that they need a Savior. He shows them their brokenness. He shows them their sin. He shows them their troubles. He shows them what they can't do. And then he also speaks to them about Jesus. That Jesus came. That Jesus died. That God loves them. That God is for them. That God doesn't want them to perish. That God is actually calling them to repentance. And the Holy Spirit is active in the world. And then the fourth reason why it was hard to go to hell is that God has given Christians an assignment that, that, that you are to be filled with the Spirit and then you're to be my witnesses. And Philip is just one of these that there are millions of Philips that God sent all over the world and they've got this responsibility while they're still on this earth to join him in this mission of winning the harvest. And, and uh, that, that Christians, you're going to meet them everywhere. They are witnesses that this is true. So to go to hell, you don't just have to resist this once. The Bible says in Luke 15, 4, that he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. So this is going to just keep going on and on and on until either you get saved or you die. So if you go to hell, it's going to be because you chose to go to hell. That's why it's hard to go to hell. And this man, this is how he came to Christ, right in the library. He's like, oh, God, God actually loves me. God wants me. God is after me. And he gave his life to Christ. And he went from being lost to now being one of those witnesses. So if we could have every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe what's true of you today is that you are on the desert road and it's amazing to you that you're in this place to hear this message because you have felt very alone. And this idea that God loves you, that God's after you, it just, it's very real for you. The Bible, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will he will come in. God has brought you here today because he loves you and because he has a message of mercy for you. He wants to save you and forgive you. So that's one group. And here's the, here's the other group. Maybe you're here and you did this in the past. You got saved. You prayed the prayer. You did whatever. But the truth is, is you have made your home anywhere but in Jesus you have been running from Jesus. You, you've been in darkness. You have been independent. And even though you've got a little religion in your life and enough church to make it look good on the outside, you, you are the, the creek that the pump is broken. You are the branch that's been cut off. Did you know that the story of the prodigal son is actually a story of somebody that had backslid, somebody that was in, backslid, and then came back home. And what God's message to you today is, is very simple. Come home. Come home. Well, Lord, I, I, you know, I did this, I did that, I did that. And he's like, 
Okay, I see it all. I know it all. It hasn't changed my love for you. It hasn't changed the sacrifice. That's why I died, it's for those sins. But I'm calling you to come back home. And this time to come home to stay.